Pastor Caleb, against his better judgment, invited me to share with you tonight from Ephesians chapter 4, which Aaron so beautifully read. Thank you, brother. Um, but if you can stay turned there, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to hunker down looking at specifically verses 31 and 32. And let me tell you what our focus is tonight on these verses. We're looking at authentic friendship, quality relationship. And I'm, I'm starting with four assumptions in this conversation about friendship, okay? First assumption I'm making is that friendship is a core part of the human experience. It is what we crave and we search for. And the reason for that, this is my second assumption, the reason for that is because I believe God as our creator has hardwired us for relationship because we are made in his image. He is community in himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, so we're wired to seek relationship together. Thirdly, I'm assuming also that this pursuit of real friendship is influenced by our backgrounds, our experiences, our preferences, our family, our culture, and probably more. We have these influences. And fourth and finally, the assumption I'm making around this conversation is that we struggle. We struggle to have quality friendships for a variety of reasons in a myriad of ways. So I want to start, I'm, I'm much more comfortable with uh, dialogue than monologue, so I'm going to start asking you a couple questions just to kind of get things rolling. And uh, first question, super easy, don't have to raise your hand, just shout it out. I'm going to get my marker. This is my love language, by the way, is whiteboards. Some of you know that in here. It's absolutely like, I'm, there's something's empty inside me if there's not a whiteboard that I can write. Anyway, so Here's the first question. You ready? What makes a good friendship? Go. Trust. Boom. Trust. Similarities. Similarities. Like the same things. Honesty. Boom. Keep going. I'm sorry. Confidence. Kindness. Kindness. People. People make good friends. Animals make decent friends. Oh, people, yeah. Loyalty. I, I heard something. We, over here, I heard something. Aaron makes a good friend. What else? Generosity. Yes. Ooh. Anything else? What makes a good friendship? Forgiveness. Oh, look at you. Spe guy in the back. And humor. I'm not funny, though. What's that? A pulse? Is that what someone said? Yeah. A pulse. Thank you, Dan. You always got the good ones. All right, all right, all right. Empathy. Two more, two more. Empathy, empathy. Minecraft. Minecraft. Absolutely. Can anybody amen Minecraft right now? Like, amen. Yes, yes. Again, the switch. I will be there for you. Okay, good. So we, we have an idea of what makes a good friendship. Second question, okay. Why do we pursue friendship? Second question, why do we pursue friendship? So what makes it good? And then the why question, why do we pursue it? Because what? We need people, good, good. People, yep, I love it. Keep them coming, keep them coming. Yes, we are. We can't live without human interaction. Woo, man. It's deep. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Can't live with, I'm not going to write all that out. Can't live without human interaction. I'm going to do it all. I'm going to do it all. I'm going big. Human interaction. 
That's an excellent one. Thank you. Accountability. Whoa. Wow. Another big word. There we go. Hold on one second. One at a time. One at a time. This guy. You need help. Absolutely. Yes. Help. Guidance. Come on. What else? What else? Yes. This one. Blame. Blame. Oh, I like it. Okay, just avoid this guy over in the front. No, just kidding. Blame, yeah, absolutely. Somebody you can blame for the, you know, get away with stuff. What else? This one. Happiness. Excellent. Happiness. Absolutely. Anything else? Yes. Companionship. Hey, now. Absolutely. Okay. One more, one more. Give it to me. Empty, void, fill the void. Okay, boom, yes, beautiful. There's more, right? Okay, third, third question, you ready for it? Ready for this one? Why do, you, why do we struggle to make friendships? What are the obstacles to making friendships? Awkwardness, I love that. That is like the new thing. Okay, awkwardness. Sin. Okay, hang, hang, hang. Hold on, hold on. One at a time, guys. One at a time. What do we got over here? Okay, rude people. People are rude. People don't make for the best friends all the time. Jealousy. Fear of loss. Rejection. What else? Yes. My fellow demon. What is it? Reputation? Absolutely. Oh, good, good, good. Right, associating with people who, you know, maybe will help you and your reputation. That's good. Yes, this one back here. Trust issues. Boom. Yes. If you've been burned before, it's harder to make friends, right? It's a struggle to make more friends. Yeah. Pride. About two more. Lack of communication. Say it again. Anxiety. Absolutely. Excellent. <laughs> it is a struggle, yeah. Excellent. Okay, okay. Excellent. Thank you, thank you. So let's, let's dig a little deeper, right? Let's go a little further. We're going to look at Ephesians. I, the, the question now is like, how does the Lord address all these? How does, what's the Lord's answer? Um, the one who created this community, this desire for relationship, what does he have to say? So, um, again, keep those Ephesians 4 texts open or your phones out. Um, let me just remind you a little of the context, right? Ephesians 4. Do you remember? Paul is under house arrest. Do we know why he's arrested? He was preaching, right? What was he preaching? Everybody, a lot of people preach. What was he preaching? I heard something. God? About, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Yes, Jesus, he was preaching Jesus as God, as Messiah. This was a problem. He was arrested for it. And uh, what I want you to understand is that what he's writing, what Aaron just read for us, is not just some like arbitrary instructions from this on high apostle, right? This is somebody who spent uh, most of his time in ministry at this church in Ephesus. He loves these people. He is not writing as someone just disconnected from them, do these things for me. He's saying, these are the most important things that I want you to live out in your life because I love you and I want to see 
Christ in you. So I want you to understand that as we read this. These are not stale instructions. This is Paul's heart for these people. And he's already spent the first half of his letter in the first three chapters, right? Talking, if you remember that, talking about what Christ has done for us, what Christ has done, and all the beauty of that. And now he's unpacking in the back half of the letter why that matters, like what that plays out into our lives. And so I won't go ahead and reread that, but um, just by way of context, that's where we're at. Um, you may have noticed Paul mentions in Ephesians 17 and 18 that they, um, these are things he's reminding them of. They already know it to be true. Okay, and what do they know to be true? They know in verse 21 that the truth is in Jesus. He's the source of truth. He's never lied. He's never promoted falsehood. He is the truth. They understand that. So this is Paul's call to like look to Christ always. Remember his life. Cling to what he said for your own life. And when Paul says there, he says, this is how you learned Christ. Here's what he's saying. He said, this is how you learned how to live as a follower of of Jesus. He reminds them of this principle that I'm sure you've, you've uh, talked about in here. He's, he's calling, about, uh, calling them to put off their old way of life, their old self, as he calls it, and to put on this new way of life that is founded in Christ Jesus, this new self. And he describes this new self as uh, one where everything about them is new their thinking, their motivations, their passions, the way they play Minecraft. Like, they're just, everything is new, right? It's all new. Sorry, I won't say another Minecraft thing. I'm sorry. That's the last time. I will, I'm repenting. Okay, everything about them is completely new. Why? Because of Christ. So Paul can say this about them. He can say, God created you after his likeness in true righteousness and holiness. They know this. He's reminding them. And what Paul seems really concerned about now is their relationships with one another. All these commands that, that Aaron read, and from verses 25 to 32, they have to do with how the Ephesians treat each other. So if you look in verse 25, they're to speak the truth to one another now. Why? Because they belong to each other. They're in this new family together in Christ. So they shouldn't be angry sinfully. They should be angry at sin, right? They should pursue holiness and righteousness, they should work honestly together. They should be diligent. They should share with everybody who's in need as they're able to in verse 28. They should use their words to build each other up, not tear each other down. And I think John uh, talked about that last week with you guys. They aren't to grieve the Holy Spirit anymore. That word for grief in verse 30, it means nausea. It's the same word for nausea. Don't make the Spirit nauseous together with your sin or rebellion or apathy. And finally, our focus tonight is let all bitterness, Paul says, wrath, anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It's the old self. It's the old life that they've lived. But instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And the question is, why does he give them all these commands, right? Why does he have to even say this? And I think at least part of the answer is because they're struggling with it. They're not living it out. We are very prone, very prone. You know that song, Prone to Wander? Lord, I feel it. As Christians, we are prone to treat people according to our former way of life, to treat people out of our sin nature. We get annoyed with people, right? People are annoying. We look at them judgmentally. Maybe we talk about them or we avoid them because we don't like them. 
And this comes as natural as breathing for us. This is just how we do it. What is unnatural is what Paul says, to be kind, tender, to be patient, gentle toward people. That's unnatural. To want what benefits them, even if it comes at a cost to us, that's unnatural. To, uh, you know, and probably, this is probably the most difficult one, is to forgive them, to forgive them when they sin against us. Have you ever had to forgive somebody? You don't have to raise your hand, but just think, like, have you ever had to forgive somebody? And if you have, you know just how hard that is. You know, it's funny, I, I, so I've got three kids. Adelie's 11, Finley's 7, he's the Minecraft, I said it again, he's the Minecraft player, uh, and then Julia is 3. And you know, if one of them like pushes the other one for no reason at all, isn't that hilarious? Like siblings will just like smack each other for no reason, <laughs> walking by just like, boom, you know? It's like, what did she do to you? So when that happens, you know, mom and I, we have to say, okay, hey, whoa, that, okay, why did you do that, first of all? But you have to go to your sister or go to your brother, and this is what you say, right? You say, I'm sorry for what I did to you. I was wrong to do that. Will you forgive me? And it's hilarious to watch them get the first part out pretty easy, but then the forgiveness part comes, and they're like, will you, will you, will you, you know, they just can't do it. They just can't, and it's like, will you, ah. and the other one always says no anyway, like, no, I will not forgive you. <laughs> that was ridiculous. And they walk away. Forgiving people and being forgiven is hard because we hate it. We hate to acknowledge that we did something wrong and we want people to pay for the wrong they did to us. Remember Paul's saying, that's not how you learn Christ though. That's not how you learn Christ. If you're a Christ follower, that's not how we're to live. Instead, we forgive. How? As we have been forgiven by God through Christ. So that's the bar. So the natural question is this, then we'll how has God forgiven us? He released a debt, right? He released a debt that we owed to him. That's the, that's the short definition of forgiveness, is to release a debt. If I owe you a thousand bucks and you forgive it, that means I don't have to pay you and you will never ask me for that thousand bucks. It's forgiven, it's cleared. Debt is paid. And the debt in this case came from sin, right? That we carry in our hearts from birth. I never taught my kids how to lie to me, but they do it just naturally. They're just, from birth we have this sin and we accrue this debt before God. And God didn't simply just sweep that under a rug, right? He dealt with it. He has to deal with it by Christ, his son. Colossians 2, you don't have to turn there. 13 to 14, it says, and you who were spiritually dead in your sins, God has made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross of Christ. And because he did that, all who trust in Jesus will not be punished for a single sin before God. Have you ever thought about that? Not a single sin will God make mention when you see him face to face. He won't hold our sin over our heads. See all the stuff you did? See that? Remember that when you said that? When you heard that? We, he won't do that. Forgiven. All of it. Through Christ Jesus. Through his sacrifice for sinners. He, he absorbed it all. So what's true for us now is what that psalmist wrote, Psalm 103, thousands of years before Christ. He said, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Why? 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward us, as far as the east is from the west, right? Infinitely far. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to us. And here's the reality about forgiveness. This is not an obligation or a transaction, right? We don't roll our eyes, uh, you know, forgive people because we're told to like my kids do. But Christ-like forgiveness is always coupled with compassion. Think for a moment of how Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy One, could be viciously crucified, taunted by his persecutors, and then begin to say, Father, you know this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the Greek tense that's used to record that phrase indicates that he has repeated saying this on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How did he do that? How did he do that amidst such torment? And I think the simplest and most profound answer is that he had compassion. He had compassion for them. This is the kind of forgiveness we are to also extend to those who hurt us or offend us or persecute us or annoy us or fill in the blank. But we can't do that if we don't have Christ's compassion for them. Okay, so we started by considering these, these questions, right? So that uh, an authentic quality friendship. Um, and I think we can define what makes a quality friend pretty easy by you know, striving to live out these commands that Paul lists here in verses 25 to 32. So the strongest friendships, the ones you're looking for, are the ones who are honest with each other. We said that. The ones who help each other. We said that. The ones who give and sacrifice for one another. They forgive. People who show kindness, grace. These are strong friendships. But I think the why question is more crucial. The natural reason we pursue relationships is in what they offer us. Right? Quality relationships make our lives more enjoyable not a bad thing. It's just a true thing. They make our lives more enjoyable. They help us feel secure. They add value to our lives. They help shape us, help us understand the world. But Paul is not after building a social club of like-minded people. The reason for treating each other, not just who we like, but also the people we don't like as much, the reason for treating each other in the ways Paul describes is what Caleb mentioned, if you remember a couple uh, weeks ago in a sermon of his, He said this, relationships or friendships, they help us show others what God is like. And they help us experience God in tangible ways. So here's what this means. Every time someone shows compassion to you when you don't deserve it, you're getting a taste of God's compassion. You're getting a better understanding of the way he loves you. If you hurt somebody and she forgives you and, you know, doesn't uh, punish you for what you did, you're experiencing the kind of forgiveness God has lavished upon you through Christ. This is why these things matter. Whenever you sacrifice for a friend just to bless them, just to help them and encourage them, maybe they never even know that you did it, you're tapping into Christ's heart toward both you and your friend. And I would say that you know, the more you sacrifice for your friends, the more compassion you'll have for them, and the deeper your bonds will grow with them. This is what makes our relationships, our friendships so unique as Christians. We're not like the world, 
or at least we're not supposed to be, right? We aren't just to surround ourselves with people we like who agree with us and then hate everybody who isn't in our group. That's the world's way of making friends. Very divisive, very arrogant. But again, that's not the way we learned Christ. We don't hold on to bitterness or malice. We don't cut people down just because we don't like them. We adopt postures of compassion and we forgive. Why? Because that's what our Savior has done. And people need to see Christ in us. They need to see that, especially today. You know, we live in arguably the most isolated, most relationally deficient culture ever. People are obsessed with their devices, their pets. They, you know, have no clue how to, and that's, I'm not knocking those things, <laughs> but they have not a clue of how to build and maintain a quality relationship. And the minute things get messy or complicated, what do people do? Psh, looking for the exit. See you later. Don't have time for this. But, what is, but Christ persevered. There was nothing lovely about the people he was interacting with, right? There's nothing in and of themselves that he was drawn to. He had love for sinners, and he demonstrated that all the way to suffer on their behalf on a cross. And on the third day, by the grace and glory of God, he rose again to redeem our friendships, to redeem our relationships with one another. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to live like everybody else, right? We don't have to. We can experience Christ in our friendships with each other. And that will absolutely have an impact on this world for his glory. People do take notice. And one day we're going to be in heaven, guys. We're going to be in glory, beholding God face to face. And guess what? We're going to experience perfect relationship. All the things we crave in the depths of our souls, we're going to have in Christ Jesus. Him present, us together perfect fellowship, perfect community, perfect uh, love, purity. We'll never hear another cutting, we'll never experience this in glory. Awkwardness, sin, jealousy, fear of rejection, worrying about ourselves and our reputation, using people to, like, for our own gain, that's not going to be present in glory. So then what do we do now? So we just wait for it then? No, we have the Spirit of God. We can live this way now. There is nothing holding us back. I heard someone say, you have as much Christianity as you want right now. You have as much of the Spirit of God as you want. We can live in Christ in our relationships and our friendships. This is possible. So I just encourage you to pursue what Paul lays out in our friendships. A few more questions and I'm done. A few more questions. You don't have to respond. This might just be um, for your small groups when you're heading there. Three questions, just think about them. How would you describe your relationships right now? Are you clicky or divisive? Um, do you find yourself judging people, being really easily irritated with people who annoy you? Um, are you practicing kindness and grace? Are you willing to forgive people even if they're not after it, even if they're not asking about it? Second question. How would your friends describe their friendship with you? Um, would they say that you value them and treat them well? Um, would they say that you're focused on yourself and kind of what you want? Do your friends see Christ in you? Or do they just see kind of the old you? Last question to think about. Is there anyone you have a strained relationship right, with right now? 
could be family, could be friend, coworker. What might be ways that you can begin to live out these commands in Ephesians 4? Maybe it starts with just forgiving them in your heart. Lord, if they were sitting in front of me, I would forgive them for you because of you. Maybe you do that before you approach them with anything. Um, I'd encourage you to think really deep about that one and, and uh, not let it go on too long if that's the case. Uh, it is best to forgive and restore the relationship. And we don't have time to dwell on this, but I do want to make mention that God has some harsh words for people who are unwilling to forgive. We don't... Um, check out Jesus' parable in Matthew 18. It's about the unmerciful servant. You guys probably read that a lot. Check that out again and reflect upon it. Uh, is that me? Am I withholding forgiveness? Because here's what that does. That misrepresents God's heart towards sinners. And that does call into question whether you actually know him, right? How do people know that we love Christ? By our love, our Christ-like love for other people, by our forgiveness, the way that we forgive them. So if there's any strain, I would just encourage you, pray and seek the Lord as to how to deal with it. Let me just end with this. Nobody lives this out perfectly. You will hurt someone, someone will hurt you, you'll disappoint them, they'll disappoint you. It's just, just a part of our lives. They're hard, they're messy, but still we strive. We strive. To love God, to love each other, to have great friends, and strive to show people what God is like and experience what God is like for yourself.